This is the first of our two ladies' breakfasts we've got planned for this year. We just the idea, we want to come together as ladies, stop, take some time out. I mean, I think it's been fun to hang out as ladies, and we don't get to do that very often, so we want to do that. Stop, hang out, have some fellowship together, and also open up God's Word together. So that's what we're going to do right now. So if you have your Bibles, if you could turn to Hebrews 12, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 2. And also, a quick thank you to the guys that are hiding themselves in the kitchen, that have given up, <laughs> given up their Saturday morning and gone up early for this. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> okay, if you are making notes, you want a title for this morning? I've called it Running for the Glory of God. Now, I did think about running my, wearing my running gear to kind of give that bit of visual, but I didn't want to put you off your breakfast, so <laughs> stuck with this. All right, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Sorry, Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin in which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's just pray before we dive into God's word. Lord, we do thank you for this opportunity to come together as ladies to look into your word this morning, Father. Lord, I pray that you'll be with me. I pray that you would help me. Help me to communicate clearly. Help me to communicate your words. Lord, may each of us here, each lady here, may we be encouraged by your words this morning, by your voice. Would you speak to us and challenge us through your word this morning? Amen. Now, I'm sure many of you, as myself, over the last month, have watched at least some of the Olympics. I mean, it's been massive. More than 11,000 athletes have taken part from 205 different countries. I mean, it might just be me, but I didn't even know there were 205 countries in the world. (laughs) That just seemed like massive to me. But, you know, people were talking about it. It certainly wasn't without its challenges. I remember right up early on, the um, Australian team wouldn't move into their accommodation because they felt that it was unsafe and it wasn't ready for them. And then a couple of um, days later, they did move in and they had a fire and had to be evacuated to clearly they were right that it wasn't safe for them. Then they had the green pool, the green diving pool, which must have been disgusting to dive into. Anyway, they sorted all that. The races continued, the Olympics continued, and it was big. People were watching it, people were talking about it. It was all over the news. I enjoyed watching it when I can. I particularly enjoyed watching um, the races. I mean, there's loads of different races in the Olympics, and the athletes go through tremendous effort to get there. They start off with the different heats, they have to qualify through those, then they get to the semis before they finally reach the grand final, which is what they've all kind of been aiming for. And, you know, if they get there, if they get to that final, they are going for it. The years of training they put in, the way they've disciplined their bodies, the exercise they've done, the weights they've done, the training, the food they have eaten and not eaten, all to prepare for this moment. It's all come down to this. And when they get there, those first few athletes that get through the finishing line, that win the prize, there is great excitement. There is great exhaustion. Some of them fall to the ground because they've just, they've spent everything. They've just gone. They use every ounce of energy in their body. There's just relief. There's hugs. There's tears. You see the families in the crowds. Everyone is taken in this moment. And then they get to stand on that podium for about 15 minutes where they sing the national anthem and they get awarded their medals and they receive the prize that they've been running for. And you know, in 
preparing and planning for this message, it actually got me thinking about the Olympics. Because the Bible talks about us being in a race. The New Testament actually talks about it three times, about the Christian life being a race. And you know, as Christians, we're called to run for something far greater than a medal, which essentially is a piece of metal. Not that I would say that to an Olympian. <laughs> it's very important to them. It's an amazing achievement. But essentially, it's a piece of metal. But as Christians, we're called to run for something far greater. You know, their medal probably gets displayed in their homes for the years to come. Maybe gets passed out to family members, but eventually it all goes back in a box. It means nothing at the end of the day. But these athletes, they get their moment of fame, they get their five minutes of fame, and then a few weeks later, we've actually forgotten who even won those races. It doesn't stick in our minds. It doesn't last. But as Christians, we are called to run for something that's imperishable, something that does last, something that lasts for all eternity. You know, the way we run in this life actually echoes into the next, actually has eternal significance. So as ladies, we're in the race of our lives, and we are called to run that race for the glory of God. You know, athletes, they get to run for the prize in the Olympics, they get to run for their medal, but we get to run for the heavenly prize. We get to run for the glory of God. We get to run for a prize that is going to last forever. It's not just going to be put back in the box one day or put on a show shelf somewhere or maybe a family member might talk about. We get to run for a prize that is going to last forever. But how do we do that? How can we best run for the glory of God as ladies? And that is what I want us to look at today. And in that, I have four points, all designed to help us run for this prize that we are aiming for. And the first one is we need to run with endurance. The first thing we need to do to attain this prize, to run for the glory of God, is we need to run with endurance. You know, it's not just in Hebrews that it talks about running the race, that it talks about the Christian life being the race. The Apostle Paul actually likes to use this metaphor. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 9.24. He writes, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one <laughs> receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. He's saying run with urgency. Run with purpose. Don't wait around. Run for that prize. The, um, it gives you the image of exertion, of sweat. You know, he didn't say, relax and bathe in the sea of the Holy Spirit. That sounds quite nice, doesn't it? I think I could do that. Or ease your way into the Jesus of a jacuzzi and it will just float you to eternity. You know, uh, that would sound good. That would sound nice. But that's what he says. He says, no, run. Run with urgency. Run with purpose. It's going to take exertion. It's going to take sweat. And you know, at the heart of Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 2, is an exhortation to believers to run with endurance the race that is set for, before us. You know, if you look up the word endurance in the dictionary, it says the ability or strength to continue or last, especially despite fatigue, stress, or other adverse conditions. You know, it gives us this, this idea of stamina. And that is how we're called to run for the race that is marked out for us. The run, the race that God has marked out for us with stamina and with endurance. Persevering, keeping going. And you know what? Metaphors matter. This metaphor of a race that is used a few times in the Bible, they matter because they set our expectations. They help us know what's ahead. You know, and our expectations can affect whether we press forward, when we press forward through difficulty, or the way that we turn back and give up. Metaphors, you compare one thing to another. They help you get a picture in your head. They help you visualize. They help you see. And the idea of a race helps us know, you know this is going to be hard. I know some of you here are runners, and you run miles and miles. And you know it's hard. It takes discipline in yourself. 
It takes perseverance. It takes energy. It takes sweat. And you know what? The Christian life is not a short distance race. It's not a short distance sprint. You know, it's not like you, have, you ask Jesus into your life, you set Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, then you're on fire for Jesus for a couple of years, and then I'm done. You know, I'm just going to sit back now, sit back and relax. It's a marathon. It's a race that requires perseverance. It's a race that requires exertion. And it's often a race that requires pain. You know, nobody finishes a marathon and doesn't feel some pain. There's pain involved. You know, we've seen going through Mark, just so we've been going through as a church, the race is going to be hard. Jesus confronted people with the cost of discipleship. He never told us it was going to be easy. In Mark 8, 34, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You just think about those words for a second. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. I mean, a cross is a big, heavy, wooden structure. That's not going to be easy. Jesus never pretended the Christian life is going to be easy. But I think that sometimes we think as Christians that it should be. But following Jesus costs. Discipleship costs. It's not just about Sunday mornings. It's not just about turning up that one day a week and, you know, oh, I serve in church, I'll do my one week in five on the roster, that's it, you know, that's good, I'm done, I've ticked the box. It's not about that. It's about giving your life. It costs. It's hard. It was always going to be. Jesus never pretended anything different. You know, one of my favourite um, authors at the minute is Francis Chan, because I actually just love how he, how he inspires us to run this race with perseverance, with endurance, with passion for Jesus. And in one of his books, um, he writes... Christians have come up with clever ways to explain why the followers of a suffering servant should live like kings. He says, I honestly don't expect you to simply accept my apparently unbelievable assertion that Christians should look like Christ. I encourage you to read the New Testament and come to your own conclusion. I love that. Christians have come up with clever ways to explain why the followers of a suffering servant should live like kings. I do that. I do that all the time. I can think, we moved from the UK, we gave up our family, we gave up our house, we gave up a great school that the kids were in, we moved to the other side of the world to plant a church, and if that wasn't enough, we took on two kids, they're a little bit crazy. Surely, surely I deserve a bit of a float in a Jesus jacuzzi. Surely it's got to get easier from here on in. But that's not what Jesus modelled to us. That's not Jesus' experience. That's not how he lived. He faced adversity, he faced challenges, he faced persecution. Christian life is going to be hard and I know many of you know that in this room because sometimes life is hard and many of you in this room know that that even more than I do I know there's some people in this room that live with physical challenges that just make getting through each day just doing the mundane things of every day is hard work requires a lot of energy and maybe that makes you want to give up maybe you think why would God do this if I'm called to run a race why can I barely move for some days why can I not go of bed? Some of you are living with hopes deferred, whether that be a job, whether it's a promotion that you've been after for a while that's just not happening, whether it's marriage that you've been praying for for years but God doesn't seem to be answering that prayer, or maybe you've been married for years and but you really like children and you've been praying for children but God just doesn't seem to be coming through with that and you're tempted to give up. Maybe you are married and your husband is an unbeliever or maybe you've got children grown children who aren't following Jesus or parents that aren't following Jesus 
And that's hard. You've been praying for them for years. Maybe even coming to church on a Sunday is hard for you because in worship you sing those words and you have tears running down your face because you know the people that you care about the most are not stood here with you. That's hard. Life is hard. And you know what? We get that. Sometimes we want to give up. I think sometimes we all want to give up. And you're not on your own in that. But you know what? Maybe you've forgotten what you signed up for when you bent the knee to Jesus. You know, I've heard this illustration of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Saviour is like um, you get in the car and sometimes you think, hey, Jesus, sure, I would like you as my Lord and Saviour. You just hop in the back seat. You come with me wherever I go. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, no, I'm the driver. I have the steering wheel. I drive you. You follow. And sometimes that's hard because he takes us down paths that are difficult, paths that we wouldn't have chosen to go. And that's hard. Maybe you've forgotten the race is a long-distance marathon. Maybe you thought it would be easier by now. You've done your few years of hard graft of running for Jesus, but surely it's got to be done. Or maybe you've grown spiritually dull and forgotten what's at stake. Maybe you've forgotten how the Lord has carried you through those times, how the Lord was there through different times of struggling, and you've forgotten his faithfulness. Maybe you've forgotten the reward that is waiting for you at the end. Or maybe you're allowing pain and difficulty or even other people's sin to stop you pressing forward you know what ladies we are called to run the race with endurance the race that is marked out for us we're called to run with purpose we're called to run with stamina we're called to exert energy to run with urgency and that is hard but thankfully we're not called to run that race alone because number two the other thing we need to run this race as um, for the glory of god is we need to run with others the book of Hebrews, as with all the other letters in the New Testament, is written to churches. It's not written to individuals. I think one of the saddest and often common mistakes we can make as Christians is to have a bit of a lone ranger mentality. You know, I've got Jesus. I'm all good. I'm strong. I'm independent. I was well-educated. I was brought up well. I can do this. A bit of a Jesus and me type approach to Christianity. Yet the beauty of God's plan is that's not how he designed it. God saved individuals and brought them together in a community. He not only justifies, but he joins people together in the community of the church. The church is his bride. That's what God's plan is all about. He saves individuals. He brings them together in a community, in a church, to reflect his glory to the world around. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are no longer foreigners and aliens. I know there's many people in this room, or a few people in this room at least, that are foreigners to Australia, to Sydney. You know, it's not where we where we were born, where we were brought up. But it says we are no longer foreigners because we've been joined into the household, joined to members, joined into the household of God. We're being built together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit. You know, he says here about Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. We are like bricks. Bricks being built together into community, into a church, into a beautiful dwelling place by the Holy Spirit. A brick by itself is not very impressive. It can't really do much, can it? Just one solo brick. Yet when it's put together with other bricks, it can make the most magnificent structures. 
the beautiful places. And that's what we're called to as Christians. We are bricks that are built together into a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit, designed to reflect God's glory to the world around us. We're designed for community. You know, God is a relational God. There's one God, there's three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they are relational. They, they have a relationship with each other. And we're designed in God's image, which means that's why we crave relationships. That's why we like community, because we're designed to be like that. That's how God designed it. He never designed it to us to run by himself. That's one way we reflect God's image, is by being in the community. But you know what? We need to run with others, but our race is not a competition to beat others. I think sometimes that can be something that we, a trap we fall into. We can feel competitive. We can feel like, oh, well, they're so much better than I am. I've got to run faster. I've got to be harder. I've got to overtake. You know, in the Olympics, it is a competition. They are seeking to get to that line first. They are seeking to beat the people that are around them. But that's not the case for us. It's not about who's in front. It's not about what position you're in. It's not about overtaking other people. You know, if someone is lagging behind us, we need to reach back and pull them forward, not just leave them on the ground to to carry on and to be there by themselves as we carry on to run the race. We need to grab them and say, come on, move forward. This is what we're called to do. The goal isn't to finish first. The goal is to finish well, to finish strong, to finish with faith in Jesus. And one of the gifts God has given us to do that is each other, is the ladies in this room, is the ladies that's in your life group. God has given us those friends as gifts. And I think there is um, an illustration actually from the Olympics that I love, which illustrates this point well. Some of you may have heard of it, but if you listen to this from the Guardian newspaper, it says, A New Zealand and US athlete have been praised for embodying Olympic spirit after they stopped to help each other after falling together midway through their race. New Zealand distance runner Nikki Hamlin and US runner Abby DiCostino were four laps from the end of the women's 5,000-metre race in Rio when they collided. Hamlin, bunched tightly in the mass of running women, stumbled and fell face forwards, causing her US competitor, D'Agostino, who was running directly behind her, to hit the track as well, falling on the side of her body. As Hamlin lay in the fetal position on the track, D'Agostino jumped up quickly and pulled the New Zealand to her feet. Moments after the two athletes had started running again, D'Agostino began faltering, her right leg injured as a result of the fall. In severe pain, D'Agostino fell again to the ground, crouching on all fours on the Olympic track, her face showing she was in pain. Hamlin stopped running and turned to D'Agostino, reaching for her with two open arms, the race and Olympic glory completely forgotten. When I went down, it was like, what's happening? Why am I on the ground, Hamlin said after the race. And suddenly there's this hand on my shoulder, like, get up, we have to finish this. I'm so grateful for Abby for doing that for me. That girl is the Olympic spirit right there. I've never met her before. Isn't that just so amazing? That just, like, story sends shivers down my spine every time I read it. I just think, gosh, that's not what you expect from the Olympics. They're running for that that race for themselves. They want to finish. They want to be stopping to pick up somebody that's fallen over. But that's what we need to be like. That's what God's calling us to do, running together. You know, people fall. Come on, get up. This is the race. This is the race God has designed for us. We've got to run for his glory. We've got to finish. We will fall. We need Jesus, but we also need people to be Jesus to us. We need people to pick us up when we fall. So a question I'd like to ask you today is, how will people know if you've fallen over? How will people know if you've gotten distracted on the race course? 
Who have you got around you that are running the race with you? Who have you got around you that really knows you? I'm not just talking about knowing your name, knowing your family, knowing where you live, knowing what job you do. Who really knows you? Who can look at you and say, what's wrong? Or if you've been missing for a few weeks from church, who notices? He says, where have you been? You know, we've missed you. Everything okay? Anything I can do to help you? Things okay in your life? And that's why life groups are so important. Like they get referred to as the engine room for the church. That's where we want to do life together. That's why they're called life groups. Because we want to be caring for each other. We want to get to know particular ladies in our group well. So that we can run this race together. So that we can notice if there's something, if there's something wrong. So who have you got around you that is that would know if you've fallen over? Who have you got around with you that you are running with? And I think we need each other and we need to run the race with others and I think so many of you do this so well. So it's definitely not a correction in that. You know, I think even just recently the stories of Kate and Nikki that they talked about with their move and how the different people in the church had come around them and helped them and served them. I think even last week, Tracy Mock, when she had a car accident and she just put it on Facebook, I think within hours she had people offering to help. She had, like, Jan Mason, who's not even in the country, is like, you can have my car. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so, like, Christina, like, when she fell over and broke her wrist, just hearing from her how the life group came around her and served her. You ladies do this. Many of you ladies do this so well. But I'm eager that we all be doing this, that we all be living this way, that we don't get distracted, that we are coming alongside each other and running with each other, running with others, that we're not being lone rangers for Jesus, that we're not thinking we can do it all by ourselves, that we're not trying to be that single brick, but that we are building together into community as God has designed it to be. But that's not all we learn from the Bible. The other thing we learn, the other way we need to run hard for the glory of God, is we need to run hard for the finish line. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Don't you want to be able to end your race saying that? I do. I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what I want to say when I'm on my deathbed. I don't want to be talking about, I'm not going to be talking about how many, what houses I owned or where I lived or what school I went to or what schools my kids went to or how successful they were in their outside of school activities. I'm not going to care about that on that day. What I want to be able to say is that I've finished, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, and I've kept the faith. That's what's important. That's what I want to be able to say. That's what I want on my tombstone. Make a note of that, Amy. <laughs> so, but in order to be able to say that at the end of our race, we need to start now. You can't wait till your final weeks and months to be able to start running hard to be able to say that. We need to start now. And I think there's a couple of lies that we can believe that will hinder us from running hard for the finish line. Firstly, I think when you're young, you think you have plenty of time. You think, I'll live for myself now. I'll give my life to Jesus when I'm a bit older. You know, if I just give myself to work, to study, to get a good job, to get in plenty of money so that I can get a house, surely I'll be able to serve Jesus better. I'll be able to do more for Jesus if I do that. It's amazing what we can convince ourselves. But none of us know how long we've got. None of us know when our race is going to end. You know, I was reminded of this actually just in the last month. There's been a couple of things. I had... A few weeks ago, some friends that we knew in America when we were over at the pastor's college, they'd lost their 19-year-old daughter in a car accident. On the way to church, she came off the road, hit a tree, gone. Her life has ended. 19 years old. That's younger than most people in this room. You know, just last week, 
um, I had a text from my brother about five o'clock in the morning just saying what horrendous day he'd had. Um, his sister-in-law, 36 years old, had just collapsed and died. Da- three-year-old daughter, she'd come home from work, I think she'd been on a night shift, and um, she'd come home, her partner was taking her three-year-old to preschool because the mum was going to sleep for the day. Her partner popped in back home on his way to work and she collapsed in the kitchen. Tried to resuscitate her, but no good. Called the ambulance, but it was too late. 36 years old. She was due to celebrate her 37th birthday just this week. A three-year-old daughter, gone. None of us know how long we've got. I don't say that to scare you or make you sad. I say, because that's a reality. We don't know. We don't know when our race is going to end. We need to run hard for the finish line now. I think the other lie we can believe is that it's too late for me. You know, maybe if we're a little bit older, we think that we haven't got anything to offer. I'm done. You know, I made so many mistakes in my life anyway. Nobody's going to learn anything from me. I don't need to. I'm just going to sit back. I'm just going to work for my retirement. I'm just going to work and then I'll just go retire to the beach and let, let the young people, let the young people do the running. I think sometimes we can think like that. But if you've read the Bible, have you read the people who God uses in the Bible? They're not superheroes. They're people like us. They're people that make mistakes. But they're people that have reached the finish line and run well because of their faith in Jesus, not because of how they run, but because of who they've looked to as they run. I think um, a good example of this, actually, of finishing strong, was I know Dave has talked about these two old ladies, I don't want to go on about them too much, but that had been in Christchurch. One passed away a number of years ago, but one actually passed away just um, a couple of months ago, just before we moved, we went back to the UK for a visit. Her funeral was actually while we were there. And she had had cancer. Her body was riddled with cancer. And they said to her that she probably had a number of weeks left. But in actual fact, she kept going, and she lasted like a few months after that. And Pete Greasley, one of the pastors at Christchurch, was going to visit her one of these times when... And she's like, I should be dead by now, but I'm still here. So God must have a plan for me. So how can I be praying for you? I heard that story and I'm just like, wow, that is running hard to the finishing line. I'm still here. You know, her body is riddled with cancer. She can't get out of bed. I'm still here. There's got to be a purpose. How can I pray for you? That's how I want to finish. That's how I want to be running over the finish line. But you know what? If the enemy can distract us with these lies, that we've got plenty of time left, that there's plenty of time to live for Jesus. We don't need to do it right now. We can wait till we're older. Or if he can distract us with, you made so many mistakes, who wants, to, who wants to learn from you anyway? You can't do anything for Jesus. Think about what you've done. Think about who you are. If people knew who you really are, who you really were, what you really do, they wouldn't be interested in you. If the enemy can distract us with those lies, and he's taken us out of the race. And that's something that he would be proud of. That's something he would seek to do. So whatever season you're in, run hard for the finishing line. Whether you're young and you've still got a whole life ahead of you, run hard. Or maybe you think you're coming towards the end of your race and you haven't got long left. Run hard. Run hard and give your life away. And I think there's a few ways that we can do this. You know, sometimes we talk about these things, but it can be hard to actually put legs on it. What does that mean? What does that look like? Uh, I think you can give your life away to serving in the church, which again, so many of you do so well. You know, if you're not sure what needs there are in the church, speak to the pastoral team. There's ways you can serve on a Sunday morning. There's ways you can serve through the week. Speak to the team, they'll let you know where the gaps are. But give your life away to serving the people in the church. You know, caring for them, meeting their needs, praying for them, encouraging them, 
spurring people on. There's so many one another's in Scripture that we are called to do. Let's be make sure we're doing them to the people around us, to the people in the church, to the people in our life groups in particular. You know, you don't need a title to be doing this. You don't need a title to be caring for people, to be encouraging people, to be spurring one another, spurring one another on, to be bringing God's word to people. You don't need a title to be doing that. You don't need to be one of the pastoral team. You don't need to be a core team member. You don't need to be a life group leader. You don't need to be a youth leader. We are all called to do these things to the, to the church around us. So let's be doing that. Get around, get around the ladies in your group. You know, Get to know them. Get to know where they're weak. Get to know how you can support them, how you can encourage them. Get to know what they're going through. Get to know how you can care for them. You know, Be hospitable to people. Have people in your home. It's not about having a big, amazing home that you can invite people to. It's not about it being clean and tidy Everyone, every time someone comes over. I gave up on that a long time ago. I used to try that, but now I'm not. <laughs> it just is what it is. You know, people don't care. They're not coming to see how tidy your house is. They're coming to see you. Be Jesus to them. Have people in your home. You don't have to cook a big, massive meal. I put out the same snacks whoever comes over. <laughs> There's not much difference. <laughs> but that's what it's about. It's just about having people in your home, caring for them, being Jesus to them. I think another way we can run hard is having an eye and a heart for the next generation. And by that, I don't just mean church and serving children's ministry, which so many of you do so well anyway. But I mean praying for them, praying for the next generation, modelling what running hard for Jesus looks like to them, being an example to them. You know, it is tough years growing up. I know when we're talking to people kind of in the middle years, middle-aged people, we look back on those times and often people say, I wouldn't want to do that again. Because it's hard. It's hard growing up. And I think each generation in some ways has it harder because the world is broken. Sin gets more and more exposed. Things become more and more acceptable. The young people these days have so many voices speaking into them. I think it's hard. Let's be praying for these young people. Let's be getting around them. And let's be caring for them. Let's be modeling what what running for Jesus looks like to them. You know, we are in a race. And in many ways, it is a relay. You know, reading Hebrews 12, what about the cloud of witnesses? Those that have gone before us, those that have finished the race, those that are waiting um, at the finish line with Jesus, cheering us on, those that have passed the battle on that are done. But, you know, we also have those that are coming behind us. We also have those that are younger than us. And let's be mindful of those people. You know, Titus 2 calls older women to train younger women. That's what we're called to do as women, to train and to help younger women. And we all have younger women, whatever age you are, we all have younger women that are running behind us. Younger women that we can be caring for. Younger women that we can be picking up when they've fallen over. Younger women that we can pull in when they're getting distracted by the, by the lure of the world. Let's be mindful of those women. We've all, we all have younger women. And we also all have older women. We all have older women that are running ahead of us that we can learn from. People you can say, how do you glorify God best when life gets hard? How did you trust God when your child was sick? How did you trust God when your job came crashing down? How do you trust God when life is hard? When the waves hit? When you can't see a way forward? When things don't make sense to you? How do you trust God? We all have older women we can do that. We can ask those questions to. The other thing I think we can do to give in our life away is give in our life to mission. You know, obviously I don't mean by that that we've all got to pack up and move to you know, a country far, far away. You know, we're all on mission wherever we are. God has placed us 
in a house, in a community, in a school, in a university, in a job, with people around us for a reason. We're all called to be on mission to those people. You know, we are running a race and we are running for the pride. We are running for the glory of God. But there are people that are running in the complete opposite direction. There are people that are running headlong to hell. You know, if we're running this way, it's like there's people flying past us, running in the complete opposite direction, running headlong to hell. Let's go after them. Let's be the obstacles to them. Let's just not make their way easy and just move out their way and say, oh, you know, I'm not really sure what they might think. They look pretty happy to me. You know, one of my biggest regrets is the people that I have let run past, the people that my unbelieving friends that I haven't shared the gospel with. They might know I'm a Christian. They might know I go to church. But I've never told them about Jesus. I've never told them the gospel. I've never shared the gospel with them. And you know what? One day, on Judgment Day, because the Bible is clear, we all die, we all, will all die once and then face judgment. I have people that could look at me and say, you never told me. I don't want to keep running like that. I want to make sure the friends I have that are around me that don't know Jesus know what I think. I want to make sure I'm sharing Jesus with them. I want to make sure I'm sharing the gospel with those people where I can. Making sure I'm praying for them. Praying for opportunities where I can share the gospel with them. I don't want too many people on that list that could look at me that day and say, why didn't you tell me? That just haunts me now and again. (laughs) That's something I'm seeking to grow in myself. But let's run hard for the finishing line in these things. You know, let's run hard. Let's be given our life life away to serve in the church. Let's be given our life away to serving serving the people in the church, serving our life groups, serving the ladies in our life groups, serving the next generation, having an eye and a heart for them, and let's give our life away for mission too. You know, when you're watching competitors in a race, it's interesting you see them when they come into the end of the the end of the race. They don't slow down. They lean in. They run hard. They want to break the tape. They want to finish strong. They want to finish well. And particularly if you're watching a long-distance race, um, the competitors actually speed up towards the end. That last couple of hundred metres, they are sprinting it. They want to run fast. They want to get over that finish line. That's how we need to be as Christians running the race that God has set out for us. We need to be running hard, leaning in for that finishing line, not slacking off, but leaning in, running hard, running hard for that finishing line, running hard for the prize, running with urgency. That's what we're called to be. And finally, how do you run for the glory of God? We need to look to Jesus. Hebrews 12 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, Jesus is both the founder and perfecter of our faith. There is no faith without Jesus. He is what it's about. He's the ultimate example of faith. He obeyed the Father perfectly, even to the point of laying down his life for us. He was despised. He was rejected. He was beaten. He was persecuted. He was even separated from God on the cross. The Father turned his face away. That never happens to us. Jesus is the perfect um, example of obeying God, the perfect example of faith to us. You know, and we can only run with endurance when our hope is set on him, on his perfection and his accomplishments. We are not going to run hard if we keep looking at ourselves because we fail, and we will, and we will fail, fail many times. We will fall in this race. We won't run this race perfectly. We need to be looking to Jesus, the one that has run this race perfectly, the one that has run it for us, the one that is running it with us. You know, the NIV says fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
I like that way, the way they put that. You know, fix your eyes. Not just looking to him, we're fixing our eyes, keeping our eyes there, fixing them on him. It kind of reminds me of, um, you know, sometimes when people have a baby and they just say, I can't, I just can't stop looking at her. I just can't stop looking at him. Their eyes are fixed. They can't stop. That's how we need to be with Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Not... Um, Jesus isn't like just one inspiring person from the Bible amongst the crowd. You know when you have those long-distance races in the Olympics and their final leg is when they run into the stadium and they do the lap of the track? It's not like Jesus is one of the crowd there. You're running in, you see the, the cloud of witnesses, and you're like, oh, look, there's Moses. Oh, there's Abraham. Oh, look, and there's Jesus. It's not like that. Jesus is the one that we're running to. Jesus is the finishing line. Jesus is the reward. He's the run that we're running towards. He's the one that we put our faith in. So that's the one that we need to be looking to. That's who we need to be fixing our eyes on. Now, let me just encourage you with some of the statements about Jesus from the book of Hebrews. Just to remind us of who he is. Who is this that we are fixing our eyes on? Who is this that our faith is in? Now, it says, he's the heir of all things, through whom also God created the world. Hebrews 1-2. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, Hebrews 1.3. I love that. He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus is God. If you want to know what God the Father is like, look at who Jesus was. Because Jesus is God. He is the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by his word of power. Everything you see around you, every leaf that falls from a tree, every bird in the sky, every star, every planet, every galaxy, Jesus upholds that. He is the one for whom and by whom all things exist. Hebrews 2.10 He is the founder of our salvation. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews 3.1 He is the high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. That's the verse I love. I love, I come back to that regularly. You know, he is a high priest. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. He doesn't just know what you're going through. He's been there. He's run that race. He has been tempted in every way that you are tempted. You know, sometimes we can go through things and we can think nobody understands because nobody's been through exactly what we've been through. Jesus knows. He's been tempted in every way that we have. Yet, he is without sin. He is the one who is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He's praying for us. He's interceding for us. That's the Jesus that we're running to. This is the author and finisher of our faith, and he's the one that we are running to. Running to. He is the prize. And so how do we endure when we are weary, when our strength is gone, when other people let us down? We consider his life. We consider Jesus. We remember what he has done for us. He has fulfilled our biggest need, which is our need for a saviour. If he's done that, don't you think he's going to fill every other need that we could want, which is just minute, in, in comparison to our biggest need of a saviour. You know, we remember his present glory and reign in power for us. We remember that the God who upholds all things is the one interceding for us. We remember that he has made a way for us by his righteousness and by his perfect sacrifice into the holy of holies. You know, Jesus broke the curtain in the temple. I love that picture of the curtain just tearing in two. Jesus made the way. We now have a way where we can, we're not separated from God anymore. We have a relationship with God. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus has done for us. We remember Christ and we look to Christ and that is how we run with endurance. That's the only way we're going to run with endurance. You know, we don't look to the left, we don't look to the right, 
We don't look to other people. We don't even look to ourselves. If we look to ourselves, we're going to get discouraged pretty quick. We need to be looking to Jesus. We need to be looking up. We need to fix our eyes on him. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us. Christ's love is what compels us to run this race. Not anything else. But you know what? Maybe for you it doesn't. Maybe for you, you're listening this morning, you think, oh, just more things I've got to do. Maybe Christ's love doesn't compel you. Maybe the race to you is more duty than delight. I know I get that. Because that was actually me 16 years ago. When we um, went to the pastor's college in 2000, I was a Christian. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. Um, but it didn't really affect me. You know when people say you should be more grateful to Jesus for saving you than you should be for somebody that pushes you out of the way from getting knocked over by a bus? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm pretty sure I'm a bit more grateful for somebody knocking me out of the way from being knocked by a bus than I would be to Jesus for saving me. You know, I was grateful for what Jesus had done, but it didn't affect my heart. It didn't affect my emotions. And then we went to America, and I was actually blown away by what I saw. I saw people that were really passionate about Jesus, really loved Jesus. I saw that they had things that I didn't have. It wasn't just a Sunday thing for them. They lived through the week. It affected their marriages. It affected their parents, and it affected the way they approached their work. Their lives were all Jesus, and I was just aware that I didn't have that. And we moved over in like there in like the August, and I think it was about the November time we went to... Um, a small group leaders conference um, so we had all the pastors college students there and all the churches from Sovereign Grace bring all their life group leaders effectively so Christchurch had come over the pastoral team had come over they brought all their life group leaders and CJ Mahaney was talking on keeping the main thing the main thing and it got to the end and he gave two appeals for prayer one was um, if you'd had a passion for Jesus and you'd lost it and one was if you'd never really had that passion and um, you know when your heart starts beating really fast and you're like, that's me, that's me, I've got to respond. But sadly, I had a lot of fear of man at the time as well. <laughs> I know, still do. But um, and I was like, how can I do that? How can I put up my hand? What are these people around me going to think? You know, David Pastors College. I can't put my hand up saying that I haven't had a passion for Jesus. You know, we've got the pastoral team from Christchurch over there. They're going to be thinking, why the heck do we send them to Pastors College? <laughs> so, but I did, by God's grace. He, he gave me the grace to do that, to put my hand up, and, and people prayed for me. And it wasn't an overnight transformation. I didn't suddenly wake up the next morning and have this massive passion for Jesus that I didn't have. But it was kind of a turning point for me. It was a turning point where I decided I was going to be fixing my eyes on Jesus, that I was going to look to him. I was going to study who God was. So God would become bigger in my eyes. Study his attributes. Study what he had done for me. Study who I was. I think part of my problem was I thought I was pretty good. I knew I was a sinner because everyone's a sinner, but... Compared to people around me, I didn't go through that bad. So I think that affected, you know, if you don't see a need for a sinner as much, you're not that passionate about Jesus. So I studied who I was, who I was before God, and my sin became bigger in my eyes. I realized that it's not just the big things that are the sin, it's the everyday things. It's the, you know, slightly getting angry at somebody, slightly getting irritated with somebody, speaking disrespectful, the jealousy that you might feel towards a friend that has something that you don't. That all these things that God opened my eyes to who I really was, and I think. The bigger my awareness of who I really was before Jesus increased, the bigger my passion and my affection for the Saviour increased. So that was me. That's my story. So I get it. If you're saying, look, Christ, I've just doesn't compel me. I get that. I've been there, and I've lived that way. So I'm happy to talk to you about that, happy to pray with you. I know there's other ladies in this room that have been through similar stories, similar experiences. But more than anything, keep looking to Jesus. Keep crying out to him to capture your heart. Because he, he will. He will reveal himself. It says not... 
Those who knock, the door will be open. Seek him. Keep crying out to him to open your eyes to who he really is so that you get to the point where his love does compel you. You're not running this race because, oh, I should. It's another thing I've got to do as a Christian. You're running this race because you really want to, because your heart's really in it, because his love compels you. As ladies, then we are in the race of our lives and we are called to run for the glory of God. And to do this, we need to run with endurance. We need to run with others. We need to run hard for the finish line. And we need to look to Jesus. So let's keep looking up. As a church, as ladies, let's encourage each other to keep looking up. And as we do, may God's grace abound to us. Let's just pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for what you've done for us. And Lord, I pray for each lady in this room that your love would compel us as we run this race. Lord, that we wouldn't be running out of a duty, out of something else that we need to do and we should be doing. That we will be running because of what you've done for us, because we love you. Would you help us in these things? Would you help us to run with endurance the race marked out for us? Would you help us to run for your glory, Lord, and for nothing else? Amen. All right. Thanks for coming, ladies. There's no need to rush off. Feel free to hang around, have a chat. If you want to speak or if you want to um, pray for anything, I'm around, Meg's around. To be honest, there's plenty of ladies around that you can talk to, so feel free to do that. If not, have a good day. We'll see you tomorrow. Press. So much better.